you know, the person I love more than anyone else in the universe is my son. No, you know, no one else. I adore him. I don't just love him. I like him. And I am saying that they are hurting him by saying biological sex isn't real, by saying that there's no difference between a trans woman and a woman, um, by saying that self-identification, that, that you should, that a male should be allowed to self-ID as a woman and enter any female space that is obviously, to me, very obviously dangerous. Hello, people out there listening to this. This is the audio version of Broadview. I'm Lisa Sellen Davis. I hope the audio is okay. I really worked hard to get this Bluetooth microphone working, but now I'm just talking into the computer. So this week I've been focusing on the difference between trans activism, a movement to impose an ideology onto law, education, medicine, maybe other institutions and um, public facets of American life, and trans people themselves, those who change their bodies or identities for their own comfort but don't subscribe to those ideologies. I think I must have first started thinking about this after reading Helen Joyce's excellent book, Trans, When Ideology Meets Reality, a few years ago. And as I've come to know more trans people through doing this work, it's become more important, I think, to make this distinction because we can pull back on gender identity ideology without anything like the trans genocide, quote unquote, activists are stoking fear about. So in that vein, today I'm sharing an interview with Penny Adrian. She's a liberal mom of a trans son who supports him, but she also objects to what I think is okay to call radical trans activism. She fears that this ideology and these tactics, the silencing, the violence, the threats, are making things worse for those who decide to transition and for whom it works. She's been commenting on my post for the past few months, and I always found her perspective nuanced and helpful, so I invited her to come talk to me, and she accepted. One note before I turn it over to our talk, Charlie the dog was present for this interview and made his presence known with some yipping and yapping that you will hear on occasion in the background. Sorry about that but apparently he also had a lot of thoughts about this subject. So here's my interview with Penny. Thanks for listening. Penny, Adrian, welcome to Broadview. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I noticed you starting writing in the, in the comments of some of my columns, and they were such interesting comments so complex about supporting your own child but critiquing trans activism so that's what we're going to talk about today and I wondered if you could start by um, telling us a little bit about the story of your child's transition sure um you know I didn't know I, I raised my child in a very gender neutral way um I, I did have people make comments to me when when he was little, and I, I use he him pronouns for my son, even though he's female. Um, that your your 
you know, daughter is so um, boyish and you're so girly. (laughs) And I thought, well, well, good. I'm doing a good job. I'm not imposing my, you know, preferences on my child. Um, But more than one person made that comment, but I didn't think anything of it. I could gender neutral raise it. He didn't have to wear anything he didn't want to wear. Um, he started wanting to wear boys bathing suits when he was eight, you know, why not? He's, he was, you know, no breasts and he would wear the little boy boxer bathing suits to the pool. And he would talk about wanting to grow a beard when he grew up. And I just thought, oh, well, you know, he also said he wanted to be reincarnated as a turkey vulture and stuff like that. I mean, a very imaginative child. Um, and I, I know he, I noticed the autistic um, behaviors too when he was young and, and he was formally diagnosed. Um, and then, you know, my child was very happy and free until uh, puberty hit. And um, also the autism, you know, the, the lack of social sophistication hit, hits hard at that age too. And I started homeschooling uh, Ben because he was being bullied by other kids at middle school. And, um, you know, just because of the autism, I think, not because of um, being gender nonconforming, although he always, you know, he always was from the age of two. He wasn't wearing the darling dresses I used to get him were so cute, broke my heart when he wouldn't wear them anymore. So he became very depressed. And he did tell me he always thought of himself growing up to be a man, not a woman. But the depression concerned me too. And, you know, so I, I took him to uh, UCSF. He didn't want to discuss being trans with UCF Child Psychiatry Department. He was kind of embarrassed about those feelings. Um, and saw a really good psychiatrist there and therapist. And eventually at 16, he was put on some, you know, antidepressants. And, and that helped him a lot. So he wasn't, you know, severely depressed anymore. Uh, The homeschooling worked out great because he's very smart and with no distractions, he was actually able to surpass a lot of the, his peers in terms of learning. Um, But I also let him go to a place in San Francisco. We were living there at the time in San Francisco called Lyric. I could do a whole show about my feelings about Lyric, so I will not go too much into that. But that was not, there were some darling kids there, darling trans kids and really sweet um, uh, people there. Um, but it, it also sexualized the kids and w- which very d- much disturbed my son, he, who was very shy and sensitive. And person. But um, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's totally fine. So you were saying they were sexualizing the kids at Lyric. I wanted to ask what that looked like. What do you mean when you say they were sexual? Well, my son was 13 when he started going there. And he tells me now he was testing me with these questions he would ask me when he came home from Lyric. I thought it was just this lovey-dovey support group for trans kids to love yourself and accept yourself. Well, he started asking, telling me, says, well, mom, what if I wanted to date someone? What if I liked getting hit during sex? What if I want people to hit? And I was like, that's sickness. If you, if someone ever wanted to hit you that, that, you know, I'll kill them. I will run them over with my car. Well, that will not, that will not stand. That is sick. And then he's, he tells me now he was testing me because he was hearing that, um, that this was an acceptable form of sexuality to be hit during sex. And I, and one of the, the counselor, a trans woman there 
she was very pretty, you know, but I, I didn't know at the time that this was a dominatrix, that she was a professional dominatrix serving as a counselor and I guess slash role model for these young trans kids. I had no idea. No one told me. If I'd known that, I was like, well, I think I'll take my kids somewhere else for support. Um, and there were lovely people there. It's not like it was all bad, but, you know, my son was upset by this and overwhelmed. There was a lot of talk of unusual fetishes. Why are you talking to 13 year olds about this? You know, um, my child had never dated, wasn't interested in dating. And they're talking about these bizarre sexual fetishes. And, and again, I mean, I'm glad, like he said, he want, he needed to hear me say, this is sick. And that's why he, he tells me this now that it, it scared the death it took me to death at the time. Like, where are you hearing this? Where are you getting this? And he tells me that was that lyric that they were being taught about sexual fetishes. And, you know, these were, these were young kids, you know, vulnerable kids, um, you know, like 10 to 16 at lyric. And, um, so my son was not comfortable there. He, he, you know, he, he really wasn't. Um, and this was what was offered in San Francisco for, for trans kids, which I find uh, scary. And I'm upset, it, partly at myself and partly at Lyric, that I didn't know. I was naive. I assumed, oh, this is going to be some lovey-dovey, you know, love yourself, accept yourself kind of thing. And it, it was, you know, they, I didn't give them permission to teach my child about BDSM. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, but I think it's sick. I, you know, I... I don't want to hear about that. And I don't want my child being taught that that's okay. And what does that have to do with being a trans kid? Like why is being trans being conflated with, with fetishes and pornography and sex work? And um, well, that bothers me. It's interesting, especially when a lot of kids are being taught that gender and sexuality are really separate. Mm -hmm. So it makes me, um, and so it's, it's curious to put those things together in in that way mm -hmm. um, but so then how did he find his way so he wasn't going to the UCSF pediatric gender clinic no he didn't go there no we weren't doing any medical transition at all um until he was an adult and I let him know when you're an adult then you can um, do that I told him no gender transition until you're an adult and he was fine with that I think you know he's very science-minded and I think he understood that this is a, a pretty serious thing that he wanted to wait to do you know but he did the social transition when he was younger and then he desisted um and I was thrilled when he desisted you know he um at 16 he but you know, it was almost like, I mean, he did this hyper feminine thing where he just didn't understand how you, he just didn't, it wasn't just natural to him to just say, okay, I'm a woman. This is, you know, he, you know, he started talking in this unnaturally high voice. And, you know, I think the autism played into a lot. He, he desisted and, and I think I was so happy and I celebrated that so much that I think he was afraid to tell me that it was the sex dysphoria was still bothering him. Um, 
even though he wasn't depressed, he was being treated successfully for depression, that the sex dysphoria was still eating at him. And he don't he did not tell me until he was 19 that, yeah, it's been bothering me this whole time. I don't, you know, um, and, and he had tried just cutting his hair short and, you know, looking more androgynous, but that wasn't working for him. You know, um, he said, I still feel, you know, like I should be I, I, like a man. And he says, I can't explain it. It's just, it's just how I feel. And then we went to a therapist together because I was very upset because I'd been so relieved when he desisted. It was, but I knew something was still wrong. You know, I could tell that he was still some, he had this vacant look in his eyes a lot, like this stressed out, not quite there look. And that went away when he came out um, the second time and said, you know, I haven't desisted. I really feel like I'm supposed to be a man. And we went to therapy together for a year. Um, he, he and I both went, we would go separately to the therapist and then together to work through it. And, um, you know, I realized, well, you know, he is an adult and he, he was being cautious and careful. And, um, and I realized also, I just had no real I mean, I could see he was happier. And as a mother, of course, you see your child happier. It's like the light came back into his eyes that I hadn't seen since before puberty. So I was thinking, okay, whatever this is, it's real to him. And if it's real to him and it's making him, it can make him happier and he's an adult, if, as long as it's making him happier, I'll support it. And it has been consistently um, since he was 19 and he's 24 now. So he started his transition at 21 medically, started taking tea. He's 24 now, and he's a lot happier. That light has stayed back in his eyes. He's more social. He became more social. Um, so for him, that all worked. And so I believe in sex dysphoria. I think there is some kind of neurological issue that may be connected with the neurological issues that trans that autistic people have because I, I don't think it's a coincidence that autism and being sex dysphoria are so connected but I think it's a neurological issue I don't think it's some amorphous cloudy gender I, I don't believe in gender identity I don't believe we all have an innate gender identity I think you either have sex dysphoria or you don't and my son has it um, I don't have it and he has it uh, it doesn't make him a different sex to me anyway. <laughs> well, the story is, it, it's an interesting story of his transition because in some ways it's an argument for, it's an interesting story because there has been this shift to among clinicians, I believe that into thinking that if you treat the gender dysphoria, these other issues will fade into the background. And so it's it sounds like by treating the depression and by learning to support um, the autism, it actually really helped your son single out the sex dysphoria, which I've never called it that, but now that you're doing that, I'm thinking, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> um, because then it would be, then we know it's something rooted in the body and not something about the amorphous idea of gender. 
Um, but yeah, it sounds like that could really, by treating those other things first, it could really help young people figure out if this is something that needs to be tended to with, you know, relatively invasive medical treatments. Oh, exactly. It should be a last resort. It's the most dangerous and irreversible treatment he received. So to me, it's just common sense. You know, try the less drastic, less dangerous treatments first. And then, you know, see how much that works. And, you know, how, you know, I, as a parent, you hope that that would eliminate the sex dysphoria because it's very dangerous and, and to go through a medical transition. No parent wants their child to go through something dangerous and irreversible. I mean, it's hard to see your child's healthy body made less healthy and put at risk. That's hard um, for, for their mental health, for their social and, and mental well-being. That's hard. That I don't understand why anyone would do that as a first resort. Because if you can eliminate that distress in gentler ways and less dangerous ways, why not? Why not do that? I don't understand. Well, I can't. Okay. I have a, I guess I, I'm a conspiracy theorist because it's extremely profitable to transition people. They are your, your patients for life when, you know, and it's not as profitable to write prescriptions for antidepressants or, you know, therapy is not access, made accessible for many people. And uh, so I, I, I'm a little concerned that money plays a big role in uh, the push to transition first and then try other options later. But I, I don't know, I, I don't wanna, I, I don't like conspiracy theory, so I don't wanna say that too much, you know. I think it's, I think it's hard to prove that <clears throat> when I have said, when I have talked about what's happened in some other European countries with, nonprofit health systems, some people have taken that as me saying, this is all happening because of profit. But what I mean is, if they don't want to pay for something, if it doesn't work, you know, they don't, mm. they're, they don't want to, oh, right. they don't want to be responsible for doing the wrong thing. Um, and, and so it just, and, and they tend to have better data. Right. They, they tend, so I'm sure profit motive is part of why it's expanded so much, but yeah. I, I think that a lot of people are involved in it are true believers. Sometimes people don't like me saying that I, I, I'm, I have a hard time believing that people are actively trying to hurt children. I think they really think that they are trying to save children but in order mm. to keep thinking that they have to edge out a lot of evidence that suggests um, youth gender medicine needs reform and oversight. They need to be, right. they need to be interpreting everything as bigotry and hate that is actually just questioning um, or, or naming various truths. So that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Cause I don't want to sound like, the people who say, you know, well, you just hate trans kids, you know, because I'm kind of saying the same thing by saying it's the profit motive. I'm saying, well, you just hate trans kids. <laughs> so I don't want to do that because you're right. That is, that is, I hate to admit it, but I think you're probably right that most of them really think they're doing the right thing. 
think so. I don't know what it, I don't know what it takes <laughs> to keep yourself in denial. As I was saying that, I was thinking, well, of course, I've, I've been in denial about lots of things, but, um, <laughs> but it's a very, oh, it's a very active denial. <laughs> You have to kind of play whack-a-mole with every detransitioner who speaks out. Every parent mm -hmm. says, I support trans kids, but I'm concerned about young people transitioning. I mean, you, it's it, in order to keep thinking they're doing the right thing, they, they have to be pretty ferocious about silencing people. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. That kind of explains the, the vehemence, I guess, the intensity of the attack like you're threatening my very being if you question me and coming from people that aren't trans it's like in a way we are we're questioning what they believe is their goodness and they're they have no they're not shy about questioning ours you know, <laughs> now saying you're bad you're bad but I do see it on both sides so I do see people saying like I just said oh it's just a profit motive they're just preying on kids um, but I have to say, probably, I mean, I can understand if they really believe in, you know, the clinicians here were great and I appreciate them. I'm in Texas now and I appreciate that there are good clinicians here that helped my son. Um, I just think I know it costs a lot of money and I just think that it's not something to be done cavalierly. It's something to be done carefully and cautiously and you know not and with the child's vulnerability and age um taken into consideration tell me a little bit more about undergoing this process in texas it was it was three years ago yeah I, well we live north of austin it, we have no problem i mean my husband's family lives in texas he's got extended that are, are were in texas before we moved here They've been wonderful. They've been supportive. The Crane Center is here in Texas. They did a wonderful job. Um, they take a lot of different types of insurance. Um, my son's been treated really well in Texas. Um, you know, I, I mean, he passes, but even when he was um, looking more butch, I mean, my, my husband's family just assumed he was a butch lesbian before when he was um, you know, dressing more androgynous, even then, you know, it, it, people were not, you know, maybe because we live north of Austin, which is a more progressive area, but I just, you know, I just don't see the hate. You know, my neighbor is a police officer, you know, he's a Trump voting police officer. He's very kind to my son and he's kind to everybody, he's, you know, every, you know, everybody's favorite neighbor around here. Um, so I just don't see this, this, oh, people in Texas, trans people are in danger in Texas now, or, um, it's not been our experience in Texas or my son's best friend is a trans man, um, who comes to visit from California. And he's also been embraced by my husband's family and they're not, you know, some of them are Trump voters, some aren't, some of them are religious, some aren't, they're just Texans. And they're, they're, I have not on the ground, I have not seen this hatred that the media is saying exists in Texas. I'm not seeing trans people are in danger here in Texas. That's not been our experience.
you know. Um, That's a uh, kind of Austin area specific though, because I, I mean, there have been so many report. I mean, there have been reports of the families being investigated for transitioning their kids and they're, you know, I, I do think people are genuinely terrified and feeling, feeling welcome. Well, I mean, I, I don't know those people. I'm sure they, they're here. Um, If I were transitioning my child, my underage child, then yeah, I would be very upset at the government trying to tell me what's good for my child. Um, I, I mean, I just, I don't know any underage people transitioning. I only know that my son was an adult when he transitioned and um, we just haven't experienced, um, I've experienced, I'll tell you what, I've experienced a lot more hatred as someone who challenges gender ideology in Texas than my son has ever experienced as a trans man. I mean, I was literally kicked out of the Texas handmaids a couple years ago for questioning gender ideology. And I'm a longtime pro-choice activist and, you know, was an escort and volunteered in clinics and, and they kicked me out because I said, well, you know, I, I don't really like the, the language that erases women from women's reproductive rights. And I was banned from attending any more meetings or protests. Not only that, they got me banned from a Texas women's democratic meeting where we would write letters to representatives. So I got more, I have received more <laughs> hostility as some a woman who questions gender ideology than my son has ever received as a trans man in Texas. So that's just that's just my anecdotal experience, but I find that really ironic, you know. Can you talk about what you think trans activism is and why you're concerned about how it will affect, you know, happy and well-adjusted trans people like your son? Okay. I I distinguish between good trans activism and and bad trans activism, which I think is what's dominating right now. I think good trans activism is making sure that uh, adults have affordable access to medical transition, that there are laws protecting the employment of people who transition, you know, when, or or who apply for uh, most jobs um, that, you know, that they can't be told, well, you're trans, so we're not gonna hire you. you know, just access to marriage and adoption. You know, if, if you're proved to be a healthy, well-adjusted trans adult that you can adopt children and no one's allowed to tell you can't do that. Um, I think those are reasonable laws. Um, and of course, violent assault, everybody should be protected from assault. I mean, that's just common sense. And I think a lot of that was, was becoming more and more successful. But what I can see now is a type of trans activism that has nothing to do with helping trans people. And I see that as an, a trans umbrella that's gotten so huge that trans people have kind of been drowned out. I mean, they're, they're not even the majority in their own alleged civil rights movement. You've got people... Um, who are just male cross-dressers calling themselves trans women. You've got people like Jordan Gray 
calling himself a woman and going on TV and pl playing the piano with his penis. Now, if you're a trans woman with sex dysphoria, you, there, that's not something you're going to do. So, and how is Jordan Gray helping trans women to, to say, listen, I just want to live as a woman. I don't want to flash anyone. I don't want to expose my penis if I still have one in the locker room. I, I just want to, you know, live my life. Jordan Gray completely wiped out that argument, chopped those women off at the knees at trans women um, by doing what he did. I think uh, people that talk about, say that women have penises deal with it. I mean, the trans women that I've known who I, I care about and support often when they were younger tried to, were had such bad sex dysphoria that they tried to cut off their own penis when they're young. I mean, if they were not able to get bottom surgery, you were never going to know they had a penis that because with sex dysphoria, they, they don't want one. They hide it. They tuck it. They don't talk about it. So these people talking about having a lady penis don't seem to have sex dysphoria to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're representing trans women who medically transition due to trans or to sex dysphoria. I think they're, they are making all trans women seem sexually threatening by saying, suck my lady dick, women have penises. Um, you know, I, I mean, in, in the, you know, the one, I mean, they're just doing bizarre, sick, sexually aggressive, very male patterned things, supposedly in the name of trans rights. And I think what they're doing is making people afraid of trans women. I think people that were not afraid of trans women 10 years ago are afraid of them now. Because the women, the trans women you would see 10 years ago, would see like Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, Caitlyn Jenner is not a threatening person. Um, Laverne Cox, you know, she's, there's nothing threatening about her. I mean, these are people, I mean, I personally would not have any issue with in anywhere, you know, I mean, I, I'm not afraid of them. They're not fearsome figures. But when you have trans women who are six foot four, uh, look just like men competing against little, you know, regular size female athletes, all of a sudden it feels threatening because it's like, you're a lot bigger and stronger than women. And you're demanding access to women's spaces and sports. Um, so I think that, I think, I feel like I've gone off the rails a little bit, but you well, know. I'm thinking about what you said before about, you know, someone like Laverne Cox being like a real role model mm -hmm. as, um, you know, a person who's incredibly successful and gracious um, and, and, and really helping American, a lot, large swaths of American society shift their understanding of and, and grow their acceptance of trans people, especially trans women. Mm -hmm. And that was 2014, you know, she was on the cover of time. That was the transgender tipping point. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, seven or eight years later, since the last couple of years are a blur, I don't know, <laughs> Leah Thomas. And you had mentioned before that you didn't think that Leah Thomas was helping the trans community the way, for instance, Laverne Cox did. 
Exactly, exactly. Well, because you can you can support thousand percent support trans people and their rights without denying the reality of biological sex. In fact, I don't think it's possible to support trans people and trans rights without acknowledging the reality of biological sex. Um, there are big, you know, sex differences, you know, between males and females, physically, biologically. Um, so common sense tells you, well, you know, uh, trans women are in fact trans women. There's nothing wrong with being a trans woman. They're biologically male and they transition due to sex dysphoria. That requires compassion in a civilized society, compassion and support. It does not require denying the, the reality of biological sex or the sex binary by insisting that a six foot four inch person who's gone through a male puberty should be allowed to compete or can compete fairly with women who've gone through female puberty. It's simply not possible. It's not, it, that is a denial of biological reality, which makes trans people appear insane. It makes, it makes trans people seem a little bit scary because if you're promoting something that people, a lie that people can see as a lie with their own eyes, you're gonna frighten them. And I think that's what's happened with the insistence that trans women are women, that there's no difference. Well, anyone can see that there is a difference if they've gone through male puberty and they especially see it in sports. And then people don't trust you. They think there's something off about you. And that bleeds into the trans community as a whole. Like there's something wrong with these people is, is what people start to think, the general public. And I think that's what's happened with the insistence that trans women are the same as women. Um, you know, as the mother of a trans son, this is some, an issue that no one brings up that bothers me tremendously, is that no trans man should ever be put into a men's prison. Tr most trans men still have vaginas. They don't get bottom surgery. What happens to them in the communal men's prison shower? Hey, there's someone with a vagina in here never a word about that and the horrendous danger of that. And yet, you know, supposedly trans women can't possibly, who have penises can't possibly survive in a men's prison, but somehow because of gender identity, a much smaller trans man with a vagina can survive in a men's prison. That's a lie and it's a dangerous lie for trans men. And this is what happens when you deny the reality of biological sex and biological sex differences. You put female people in danger consistently, not male people, not men, not trans women, but biological women and trans men are endangered by the denial of biological sex. And that frightens me. And that feeds into the perception often correct that trans activism is an extremely misogynistic movement, an anti-female movement. That's my spiel on that. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking about. It's been very, very hard for me to convince anyone who is really um, hewed to the idea that um, trans people are under attack, that a trans genocide is imminent and it's all because of the right wing. It's been hard for me to, to get them to shift a little bit and say, do you think that some of this backlash is coming from 
overreach. Do you think mm-hmm. it went from that that the shift from Laverne Cox to Leah Thomas is part of why these people are pushing back? Not that they've been waiting for you know eight years in the in the wings, ready to pound, <laughs> but that there was a very brief moment where um, maybe we were gonna live as harmoniously as um, fractured Americans can live. And then it went from that to, um, you know, biological sex isn't real. And it, it went to, it went from, from that to sort of trans women are going to enter any domain they want and do mm-hmm. anything they want. Mm-hmm. And, and that there's a, and that things were being taught in schools um, and that the medical community had ceded some of its guidelines to activists, like all all of these other things Mm -hmm. happen that that many of us have looked at just like when we, when we say, how do we get to this point? A bunch of us are kind of compiling this timeline of, oh, there's an answer to that. But exactly. A lot of people in my world, the answer is, right-wing hate. And I, I'm thinking, no, there. some of that is true. Absolutely. Some of that, mm-hmm. I've been around some people, a couple of people lately who said things that just, you know, made made me lose my breath of like, oh, you act, yes. Okay. So the hate exists. Well, sure. Sure. Of course it does. But, yeah. but what, but part of what happened was we took these kind of radical fringe ideas and mapped them onto the mainstream yes. and a whole bunch of different kinds of people don't like it. Exactly. But how do we show people that this is not actually the best way to get understanding of and acceptance of and protections for trans people? When we, when, when it's like, when you tell your kids, you know, well, you know, if you had cleaned your room, you wouldn't be grounded. So it's because <laughs> your parents are mean, you're grounded because you clean your room. Well, they don't see it that way. They just feel like victims. <laughs> there, are a way, there are a way to communicate this complicated idea to people so that they say, oh, yeah, I see that. I." Well, I think it has to come and is starting to come from actual trans people themselves. And that's exactly why. You know, the person I love more than anyone else in the universe is my son. No, you know, no one else. I adore him. I don't just love him. I like him. And I am saying that they are hurting him by saying biological sex isn't real, by saying that there's no difference between a trans woman and a woman, um, by saying that self-identification, that that you should, that a male should be allowed to self-ID as a woman and enter any female space that is obviously, to me, very obviously dangerous. I don't think it's dangerous for females to self-ID as males and enter spaces for reasons I also think are obvious. You know, uh, females do not prey upon males in the way that males prey upon females sexually. So, uh, but I think we need to acknowledge reality that, of course, sex offenders are going to abuse self-identification. But I think to get people to listen is for trans people themselves to say, you're not representing me. And no, 
uh, for Laverne Cox to say, no, there's actually a big difference between me and Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard does not represent me. You know, I don't think Laverne Cox wants Eddie Izzard sharing a shower with her, a shower room or locker room with her. But if she speaks out, what's going to happen to Laverne Cox? I mean, I understand the hesitance of a prominent trans person saying anything to question trans activists. Um, but I think that's the only way people are going to listen. Now, as a loved one of a trans person, I'm a little freer to say something. I mean, I'm not, no one knows who I am. I mean, I don't care. I, I'm not, I have nothing to lose. I'm not like some actor or something or a prominent person that's going to lose their position. So I can say my, the truth that I see that I see more harm coming from trans activists towards trans people than I do from the right wing, although it's hard to separate the two. I think the trans activists are playing directly into the hands of people like Matt Walsh. That documentary was a perfect example of how brilliantly the trans activists play directly into the hands of right wing people. He played them like a fiddle and they offered themselves up like fools. I don't like Matt Walsh. I don't like his positions on things. I don't like what he said about Dylan. Who, but it's not his fault that those people said those asinine things on his in his documentary. It's their fault. They said it. They could not give a straight answer that a woman is an adult human female. That's the most common sense answer. It's it's provable. It's it's empirical. They gave him all the ammunition that he needed to attack. And, he, and that documentary made trans people look crazy. Even when I don't think most trans people have a hard time defining. My son has no trouble defining what a woman is. I have no trouble. I think some young kids who are desperate for acceptance feel like they have to go along with that because if you already feel rejected and strange, you're not gonna stand up to your peer group. But my long-winded answer to your question, I think it has to come from trans people themselves who are brave enough to say, Eddie Izzard is not a trans woman. Uh, no, Leah Thomas should not be competing with biological women in sports. Uh, Debbie Hayton does that, and she's amazing. I really respect Debbie Hayton a lot. Um, you know, there are other trans women, um, usually transsexual women. Buck Angel has been very outspoken and brave that I'm an adult human female. I'm a transsexual man. I don't have to say I'm a man to feel good about myself. Um, I think that's the only way it's going to change. Um, and I would ask those people, okay, you think, ask them the question, how did the academics who could not answer Matt Walsh, when he asked them what a woman was, how did they help Matt Walsh? And how did they hurt trans people? And just, just let them think about it. Because it's pretty clear to me, they help Matt Walsh totally feel the fire that trans people are crazy. And that's what he's saying, that all trans people are crazy, that they're, they're, they're mentally ill. And well, it's, a, it's probably a neurological disorder, but you know, I have my own neurological issues. That doesn't mean I don't deserve treatment. And I'd like it if my son could have had a less drastic treatment, but that's not yet available to him. Um, anyway, that's... I'm doing that thing where I go off on tangents and stuff. Um, what, you know, you, you were able to support your son without 
going the gender affirming route. Can you talk a little bit about that? And do you have advice for others who, um, who want to be supportive, but also want to root their kids in, in the reality of sex and the reality of their bodies and, and, and to wait a while so they can figure out if that is actually a reasonable course for them to take? Well, I'll just say what I did. First of all, just establish for your kids that you're, you're going to love them and be there for them no matter what they decide, that nothing they do can make you reject them or turn away from them. Um, I think it's a huge mistake to tell your child, well, if you transition, then you're not my child anymore. Or if you do that, then I think that's a disaster and, and abusive. So let them know, first off, I love you. I'm here for you. I may not agree with your choices, but I'm your parent, your mom, your dad, I'm here for you. First, have it be rooted in love. Because my wanting my son to wait to transition, he knew was rooted in love and concern for him. He knew that. I said, I totally support you in medically transitioning when you've had time to really be sure. And then I, I will be there for you if you still want to do that. And I think he just knew that I loved him, that I love him. I think as far as keeping the kids rooted in reality when it comes to biological sex, um, I don't think it's possible to support your trans child unless you acknowledge the reality of biological sex. If it weren't for biological sex, there'd be no need to medically transition. There, there, it's not necessary. So I think, again, if they, just so they know that you're coming from love, that, not fake love, but actual love, that I love you for who you really are, a female person with sex dysphoria who needs to transition to feel happy and then to transition to be a trans man. Um, I love you for who you actually are. I don't want a cis man for a son. I don't want a biologically male son. I want you, the son that I have, who's biologically female and a trans man. And I think even if they're resistant at first, that that's the fact is, if you pretend there's someone else, you're kind of sending the message that who they really are is not acceptable, is not lovable. And I think, unfortunately, this has kind of poisoned the, the dialogue that when you say trans women are the same as women, the message you're sending is a trans woman is not acceptable. She has to be the same as a woman or she's not worthy. Um, or same with a trans man. Say a trans man is a man. He has to be male or he's not acceptable. I don't accept that. I love my son for who he is. He is not a man. He is a trans man. I, I wouldn't want him to be any other than who he is. I don't want a biologically male son. I want my, my biologically female son who is a trans man. I'm happy with who he is. I think he's amazing. And the fact that he transitioned from female to being a trans man informed a lot of his character and his personality. So that journey is important. This idea that you have to call your old name, your dead name. My son never did that. He never considered his original birth name, his dead name. He actually kept his middle name and he chose a male name, Ben, that was similar to his, his birth name, which is Bernadette. I mean, he did all of that because he wasn't cutting off his past and saying that person's dead. There's a direct line going to who he is today that doesn't need to be uh, destroyed or broken. It's all part of who he is. 
So I think uh, that's all I can say for advice that there's nothing loving about telling your child, I, you're not acceptable unless people lie about who you are, or you're not acceptable. It must be lie about your whole past. It's interesting. It seems like a sort of symptom of the obsession with inclusiveness that we don't want anyone to be an other. So instead of saying you're different and that's awesome, we're saying you're not any different. Exactly. And, you know, instead of it's okay to be different, it's, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and you know what I, I always try to say to my kid, you, you know, your difference is your strength. Yes. And yes. you don't, you can be, you can be different from the vast majority of people in your sex class mm -hmm. and, and still, and be awesome. Exactly. Not, I don't think otherness is a thing that needs to be fixed necessarily. And we, I guess we've made people more sensitive to it. <laughs> is there anything you want to add that I didn't ask you about? Um, not that I, I can think of. It just, the only thing, I think because of the craziness of gender identity, it's causing people to believe that sex dysphoria is not real. And I think that's a shame. I, I, I think that gender identity is a metaphysical belief and it has no place being enforced in law. It is, it's a spiritual belief. It's not, there's no scientific basis for it. But sex dysphoria, I do think is real um, because I've seen, I've known people with it and that, that there's something in their neurology for some reason that makes them feel like sends a message you're, you're female when you're actually male or you're male when you're actually female. Um, it's pretty deep. It's not, I think gender identity has made it seem like something trivial because it is treated as trivial. I'm just, I'm non-binary today, or I'm a boy this day and a girl that day, or, you know, I, Eddie Izzard, I put lipstick on, so I'm a woman now. It's trivialized. Something that I think is a very, as a rare but real condition, which is sex dysphoria. And I think it's a shame that gender identity and transgenders have made people with actual sex dysphoria look crazy or it's minimized what they go through. And, and a person with sex dysphoria, again, uh, a trans woman with sex dysphoria, not gonna be, you're not gonna see her penis in a woman's locker room. I just say that, you, no one's gonna see that penis ever, you know? I mean, I've known them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're not, no one's, they're not gonna be playing the piano with the penis on TV. And I think there needs to be a big different distinction made between people who transition due to sex dysphoria, especially trans women, because I don't think they are uh, a sexual threat to women if, if they have actual sex dysphoria. Still don't think they should be in women's prisons if they've committed a crime, but I'm not afraid of them. In a, they're, not, they're not gonna expose themselves in locker rooms, whatever. But, um, Maybe like the autogynophiles, we need to distinguish between them and the women with trans women with sex dysphoria. I just don't want people with sex dysphoria to be erased because of the craziness of gender identity and the idea that you are just what you say, you are what you make up in your mind. Because I do think sex dysphoria, I think it's rare. I think it's connected with autism. I think they're both neurological conditions that have some overlap. And I don't think that's studied because supposedly we just are what we say we are. And 
you don't have to study it. Um, I think we do because you don't want to be doing unnecessarily medical procedures on vulnerable people. Because imagine if you're already depressed and and suffering, and then on top of that, you have to deal with having body parts cut off and in a medical transition that you can't reverse. And, and then on top of everything else, I mean, I can't imagine a more painful position to be in. They, they need to gatekeep better when it comes to something like that, not be so cavalier about it. So that's my big spiel. <laughs> well, it sounds like more, more science less ideology and activism can be a really good thing that that moves the needle where the needs to be moved Uh but right now we need to maybe pull back and and get rooted in reality and to stop looking at gatekeeping as an as a negative it's important you want the experts to help you decide if the path you're Uh taking is the one that's going to get you what you're seeking, which is happiness and comfort. So exactly, exactly. I don't yeah. know. How, I don't know how we get there, but I, but I like the idea. I like the vision. I do too. I'm, I'm hope I'm praying for that vision. I hope more trans people and their loved ones will speak out um, because I do think that's what it's going to take that, you, you know, no one can know me and my son and say, I don't love and adore my son. And so I'm saying, I'm not, I'm, I think those coming from a place of love, real love and acceptance of, of actual trans people can make the difference. Well, Penny, Adrian, this has been a great <laughs> conversation. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having <laughs> with me. Oh, well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sorry about my, my grandbaby. My puppy, <laughs> they being so loud. All right, a little, a little soundtrack. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, thank you again. Bye.